Recently, there's been a lot of talk about housing affordability and whether or not supply is the answer. We know this is a complex issue, not the least because of the three different levels of government in this country, each with some but not all of the responsibility for housing policy. So how does housing policy get formulated? Which level of government holds the most swing? And what is the long-term plan for a city like Sydney and who or what is driving it? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecaster report which experts can you trust to get it right? TheElephantInTheRoom.com.au Today's guest is going to help us understand how changes in policy and macro and micro trends impact the way people move, work, and most importantly, find homes to live in. Chris O'Dell is the Director of Analytics at, is it Jide or Guide? Guide. Guide. Guide Consulting in New South Wales. His career has spanned planning, engineering and transporting both the public and private sectors. And while working at the New South Wales State Government or in the government, uh, he was responsible for the creation of key data sets monitoring housing activity and population growth. Chris now works very closely with all levels of government, strategic planners, industry, and anyone else who will listen about the importance of evidence-based decision-making. Sounds thrilling. We're very curious to understand how the system works and looking forward to this chat. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, pleasure, Veronica and Chris. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Great to be here, um, Chris, I, and thanks for coming on. I mean, I have to say thanks to Veronica. That is the first time in over 200 episodes she's nailed everything the first time. Um, you, oh, cheeky. So, so you are on form today. Um, so, Chris, uh, I'm going to start with the first one. Um, big question. I mean, government decision-making, how often, especially around housing, how often is it evidence-based in your opinion? Look, I think we're trying really hard to make it evidence-based as much as we possibly can, but unfortunately, and I don't think anyone would disagree on me with this, you, you kind of see the evidence sort of get distilled and sort of, I don't know, uh, watered down a little bit as it goes up the tree to that final sort of decision-making where we might not get exactly what we want. But you know what? We, we chip away at this sort of stuff, and I know that government chips away at it. I know that public, poor old public yeah. servants who have brilliant policy ideas will see those policy ideas get watered down over time. But, you know, working in both the private and public sector, I I have no doubt that we that there is that, 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 that desire to keep on chipping away at these things. Yeah. I mean, today we're going to talk predominantly around New South Wales and, and, yep. and Sydney, but, I mean, it's it's sort of similar issues no matter what state you talk about. Um but just, I guess, a different version of it. The Greater Sydney Plan, I think, is quite interesting for anyone to read. I mean, what's your thoughts on the, the whole idea behind that? Well, I think, look, I think the idea of having an overarching Sydney plan is an absolutely critical one, which makes a lot of sense. And I think, you, you know, you've just, you know, the government's just announced the Greater Sydney com- Greater Cities Commission where they've yep. picked up now that Sydney model that they've had for the last five or six years and now they've said, well, let's apply that across the Illawarra, the Hunter, and Sydney. So okay. clearly, they clearly they've got a d- desire to kind of take that model and expand it to those sort of you know a- urban areas outside of Sydney, which I think is a fabulous idea and makes a lot of sense. But as always with these things, you've got to see how they're implemented before you can say whether it's working or not. So, what are the key features of that? Of what? Sorry, Veronica. As in the, the Greater Sydney Plan and how that then sort of rolls out or mm. translates into into larger regional centres. Well, I think I think well, this, if you have a look at the Sydney Plan as a whole, what you're trying what you're trying to do is just see that twenty year vision. Like, what what are we wanting? What are we aiming for in terms of that high level vision for a city? Um, in theory, what that means then is, is that you take those strategic directions from the top and you apply those down into the local level and then your local government should pick those up and then make local government decisions that are, you know, basically hooked on those higher level strategic visions. So I think what you'd like to see in the region is that in those other regional areas is that we do actually have regional plans at the moment for the Illawarra for the Hunter. Um, but I think when you when you start pulling them together 
with Sydney as well. As well, mm. you're hopefully going to get a more integrated vision for the metropolises that we have in in New South Wales, especially sort of Sydney and around the you know those you know a couple of hundred k's either side of Sydney, north, north and south. Yeah, so hopefully it's a more hopefully it's a more integrated vision. Um, but again, we we have to wait a bit of time for to see what that looks like. Uh, I know the Sydney plans at the moment are in in review, so the Greater Sydney Commission plans that we've had for the last five years they're they're up for a, a redo now. I think they're starting them now, and I think they're going to be published mid next year, late next year. Don't hold me to that, those dates, yeah. but it's it's soon. It's within twelve to eighteen months. I think we're going to see a new version of them, which is probably really good timing considering the uh, incredible change in. Um, the way that we're moving around New South Wales and functioning in in cities, you know, primarily because of COVID, so it's it's probably a great time to refresh those plans and have a big look and see what the future, what is the future that we want for the, for our cities. I mean, that's right because the rule book sort of got rewritten, right? I mean, I think 100%. prior to COVID, we had clients that were pressure cooker time was the most important thing um, to get back to the family and the kids and. You know, when you're going mm. to the city five days a week, that matters a lot. But, you know, COVID shifted everything and clients started saying, hang on a sec, I love the Central Coast. I love the north of Wollongong. You know, I wouldn't mind moving up to the mountains, et cetera. Yeah. And um, it makes it makes sense from a geography point of view, but also a distant point of view, you know, with train links, et cetera. So, um, I mean, we know all everyone that's made the change, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I could I could rattle off half a dozen people that are, you know, good friends of mine where I've called them and said, what are you doing down the like, Oh, we're in Blacks. We're in Blacksland now. It's like, oh, <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> it's, <laughs> so it's it's a, it's a really it's it's happening a lot. But the other thing that I think gets neglected in this in this story about people moving from Sydney is we've actually seen a lot of people who would have normally st- left a regional town normally left Newcastle, who mm. normally left Wollongong, they've actually stayed. Yeah. And I think that's maybe even a bigger driver than the people coming from Sydney. It's the people who decided to not move, who would have historically historically gone. And I think there's a huge opportunity there for regional towns and regional centres to say, well, maybe that was a temporary hold on an idea to move to a bigger city, you know, to move to Sydney, to move to Brisbane, to move to Melbourne. Mm. How do we as a regional town keep those people now that they've made that decision to delay what was an inevitable move because of jobs, schooling, yeah. you know, whatever, housing, whatever those whatever those opportunities are, they've stayed. So let's, I think, and I think that's what I would be doing if I was doing these regional mm. plans is looking at it and saying, well, what are the things that have kept people here in that yeah. short term that would have normally left and what? how do we keep doing those things to keep them in the regional towns? Because, you know, the people that move are the mobile people. They're the working age population. They're the people that, you know, contribute to a town, um, you know, that yeah. work the jobs, so have the kids at school, all the good things you want in a, in a, in a really nice town, in a nice regional area, and they're the ones that didn't move. So, you know, I'd be, I'd be trying my best to hold on to them. It's all the brain drain, isn't it? It's like the yeah, issue exactly. with, you know, uh, a lot of Kiwis, they, you know, get their education, get trained up at uni and they, you know, cross the water, you know, people in Adelaide, yeah. Perth, they jump on a plane and move to the East Coast, et cetera. But if they're sticking around, then the city's actually got talent sticking around, starting businesses and yeah. uh, and growing the city. Same as population, I guess. Even though we haven't got much migration, it doesn't mean that population isn't increasing, right? We're still having kids. We're still... Um, We're still having kids. I think I had a look the other, I had a look um, at the New South Wales population growth last financial year and it grew by about 25,000 people without, without basically without a migrant, which is basically, you know, which is natural natural increase. Mm. Well, that, that's also that. with some migration to Queensland. That's right. Yeah. So that's still that's still that pattern of people going heading mm. north out out of New South Wales, and I thought, well, what's twenty five thousand? Because I love doing things like you know the, the classic. What's how many swimming pools is that? Right. Whenever you do the, <laughs> yeah, and that's about the size of Goulburn, right? So we added a town of Goulburn to mm. New South Wales last year. <laughs> Um, without any effort, really, other than them um, having a few babies and a few internal migrants moving around. So, even at that, the lowest it can possibly be, we're still adding quite a few people into the state. So, you know, once migrants come back, we're we're going to see uh, that number go up quite significantly. I think we've got, I think, some interesting changes. As and many times we've said this, and many times our guests have said this, that COVID has fast tracked ten years worth of change, right? And this yep. is across many disciplines. I was talking to Kirsten Craze this morning. She's a property journalist. Um, we've interviewed her a couple of times and oh, on the last 
few months anyway, we researched, we interviewed her around sea changing. Mm. Um, she grew up sort of in the mid-north uh, coast, New South Wales, and has returned there with her, you know, young family. And we were just talking about the real pressure on rentals uh, in that area in particular. So I know that's micro, but it, the, the reality is there's a, there's a major housing um, shortage occurring in regional areas and it's building because, of course, there's more people move there and taking, you know, bigger mm. dollar, bigger earning jobs with them and all mm -hmm. the rest of it, the pressure, it's effectively these regional towns are undergoing gentrification, you know, the sort of things that, you know, Redfern and Waterloo in Sydney has undergone because as land values go up, then people start moving in that wouldn't previously have lived there and pricing up the people who could live there because it was cheap. So this is happening regionally as well. So in terms of the big picture, in terms of big-time strategy, how much, I guess, is looked at, at that as being a recent phenomena that may or may not be permanent, you know, and then how do you plan for that? <laughs> it's one of those things, right? So be careful what you wish for, right? Because you've mm. kind of got <laughs> – but I think the thing about regional, you're absolutely right, is they they didn't have that that ability to adapt to these – these changes that happen basically overnight. Yeah. But the thing that gets me about it is if you actually have a look at, say, rent, like if you have a look at rental data, because I think that's the a really important sort of canary in the coal mine mm. data set that tells you something's going on quickly as opposed yeah. to some of the other stuff that we, you know, you've got to wait, you know, a year or two for the data to come through to tell you what's going on. The rental stuff is live and it really mm. shows you what's happening. But if you take Hunter, for example, or if you take the mid-north coast, you know, any of those eastern parts of New South Wales, you'll see that the rental vacancy rates were dropping four, five, six years ago. Mm. Wow, they're okay. already on the way down. So Hunter's a great example of that, of they're in sort of that rental stress sort of world where we say, what is it about, you know, if your vacancy rates across the board are under 3%, then mm. you're probably not in a balanced market. 3% your balanced market, right? Like that's where you've probably got the supply and the demand sort yep. of at a, at a good point. I think the Hunter was in 2014, it was already below 3% and it's been mm. heading down since. Um, I'm doing a bit of work at the moment up in the north, the north coast sort of around, um, you know, Richmond Valley, Lismore, Tweed, that that part of the world, and again, those those vacancy rates were already mm. already heading down. I just don't think from a, I don't think people were paying attention to that. Um, mm. I think either there was clearly noise about it, but it was it was noise about things that were influencing it, like short term rental accommodation. You know, we're we're having we're having big yeah. issues with with we're having big issues with rentals because of Airbnb. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like that is another another layer on top of all, all the other problems mm. that we've had. Yeah. But we were already in that in that we were we were going to get there at some point. I think COVID, like you said, sped it up. But the the problems were there to be seen if someone actually paid attention to them already. Um, we were heading we we're heading the wrong way. So um, we already had like an undersupply of building, I guess, or um, yeah. underdevelopment, um, yeah. you know, for the growing population of the city, you know, underinvestment from investors in these areas because there wasn't enough rental. Um, mm. And then you had a huge influx of demand and very little supply, right? A lot of people not selling, a lot of, um, yeah, you know, people exactly. selling. Yeah. Uh, but you're saying. And in that, your regional town, when you have on average 20, 30 rental, rental properties, yeah. you know, in your small market. Uh, like it doesn't take much for that mm. to just be completely obliterated, right? And that's what's played out a lot in a lot of the sort of those desirable regional towns. But I guess the argument that I'm the, – the thing that I'll, you know, I'll keep saying to people is is that we – this was coming. This mm. wasn't – this shouldn't have been a surprise. How quickly it happened may be a surprise, yeah. but it was coming. And if you have a look at all those lead indicators about you know, the housing market, you could see it, you could see it coming. One of, one of the fallacies that we often fall for is that we look for the one cause, you know, mm. the one reason. And I know it, it jumped to my mind, oh, short-term rentals, you said it. And you did mention a few other things as well. So trying not to fall into that fallacy, uh, you're saying that, this was happening what were the causes you know and I, I would imagine there's some unique causes to every individual area right um but i guess in a bit of a more a broad brushstroke what's been driving that 
problem. And and, and I'll, I'll sort of preface, well, before you answer, just in that conversation today with Kirsten, she was saying that, you know, like that there'd be people living in rental accommodation for years, you know, with maybe a $5 yeah. a week rise then all of a sudden it sort of goes to 50 100 a week rises and and pricing out effectively a whole a whole community so that in itself is quite sudden and so those you know there was this sort of you're saying this was happening and yet it there was it appeared to be no impact beforehand or was there an impact and there just wasn't enough that it was you know was taking notice like I, I think you're right I think the impact was because the impact was localized it kind of got lost. And you know we're 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 never we're never going to read an article about the you know in a in a national city newspaper about um, a short term mm. issue with rentals in the small town of right. uh, yeah. Mudgy, you know who mm. has got some serious issues with housing supply. But whether yeah. how's that little story going to get? into a national conversation? It, mm. I just don't think it is right. Um, but what happened with COVID was was that that played out all at the same time across many, many different little parts of the of the state. Which all of a sudden, when you compound all that together, you you got a story where people went, "Oh wow, this is this is pretty impactful. This is actually having a big impact on people." And I think maybe that was the that was the story that got the story was there, but it just got amplified because it was so quick really compared to what it was doing um but in terms of what caused it you're right like every town's got every part of the state's got its own unique problems but if you have a look like i use an example in the hunter valley the hunter valley is like i think it's one of the one of the areas of new south wales that, that you know greater newcastle and sort of up the hunter expressway there's an enormous opportunity in that part of the world it's it's absolutely you know if we if we put a lot of effort into that we could see that become a, a legitimate city in itself, not just a, you know, satellite part of Sydney, but an actual, you know, a real regional city that I don't think this country's really got yet. You could argue maybe the, the Gold Coast. Yeah, well, Gold Coast is a good example yeah. of a regional city, but I'm talking, you know, in New South Wales, we've got that opportunity there. I don't think that the decision makers, I don't think that there's policy that actually, maybe even policy says it, but people... People aren't viewing it like a metropolis, like a city. They're still planning for it in small little towns. We're a small town. We're a small region. It's like, well, actually, you're kind of on the edge there. So you've got to have that big idea and think big to take these opportunities that are in front of you. Which gets back to where I was going to take that next question is that how does that then feed back into policymakers? And then because yeah. we've got that, you know, local, state and then federal government levels, how does any of that make a difference how, how how does it become big picture look i think you, you i think you've got a, a there's a there's a great example that i often if anyone asks me about the hunter and tells me what what's what's one of the problems with the hunter it's um there's an it's a huge i'm using hunter as an example because it's just one of the areas that i spend a lot of time in, but it's a really good sort of example of yeah. stuff that's playing out across the state um there's parts of the hunter that you know, they can't build the greenfield housing supply quick enough out there. There's an enormous amount of demand. The demand's been there for 10 years. Um, if you're if you're going into that market and you want to build a couple of houses or some multi-unit development or something in that greenfield area sort of up, um, up along the Hunter Expressway, there's, there's really blunt instruments from a policy point of view that try, I think, to try and get in the way of actual development. Like you've got to, you've got to demonstrate that there's, uh, there's under a 15-year supply in your area before we'll entertain the idea of more supply. Mm. Now, in our market like Hunter, it's, it's happening so fast that that, you know, the, you build it, they'll come kind of thing. So there's, there's, policy, there's policy levers there that are just, I think, too blunt to just not they're not responsive enough to when when the when the timing's yeah. right you've got to pull that lever and you've got to you got to let people move in right <laughs> and so i think we're we're struggling from a policy point of view with our with that ability just to be agile in a in a very changing changing world well i mean right now that's what you need is you need supply right to fix rental markets you need more investors um and you need more uh, places for rent um uh, and at the moment, you've got a lot of home buyers moving in there. So a lot of home buyers yeah. are buying off investors that are cashing in. Um, so that's making it even harder for investors. But if you want to increase, you know, uh, improve housing affordability in the Hunter and, you know, stop all these Sydney siders buying the Hunter's homes, you know what I mean? Then <laughs> you've got to give them an option, right? And they might be the Greenfield Estates. But 
what you're yeah. saying is they're not being responsive enough to the the post-COVID world. They're sort of basing it on the old fundamentals of, you know, I, we're going to grow slow as a regional city. Let's just make sure we don't upset the current owners and all those sort of I things. I think there's a bit of that. I think there's just a little bit of a – like, and I guess the other thing is is that you have a look at the way that city, the city of Newcastle's posi- positioning itself and they want to be open for business and they're, you know, and so you, you listen to them and it, that it's fabulous to hear that. But are we seeing that reflective in every decision on the ground? Probably not all of the decisions. Some of them, yes, but some on the ground, you think, oh, guys, come on, like let's. <laughs> this is these are some great opportunities here. Let's 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 go with it. Do you think um, they're keeping so- Newcastle? I grew up in Newcastle. I was up there for Easter, and um, you know they've got a tram in there, but it's you know a lot of the joke around the city is that um, or a town um, is that no one gets on it. Right? It's sort of too big picture. Um, they could have just put in a bus because uh, and save themselves all that investment. So, do you think there's a bit of that as well? Like we sort of. Uh, you know, you said build it and they'll come, but, you know, when I look at that, I sort of feel like maybe it's not ready for a tram yet, you know, it's still a small town. Yeah, I, I look, I don't know. Like I can think of the same thing, the same argument for the train stations out in southwest Sydney around Leppington and, mm. the, you know, that line there. But, you know, when that line opened up, it, it was a ghost town. But if you go out there now, it's getting pretty busy and it'll be pretty, It'll you yeah. know, it's going to be significant. So I think... I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea of getting the transport in early, yeah. locking that away and then building around it mm. um, as opposed to retrofitting because retrofitting, we've all seen how retrofitting mm. works in, yeah. um, in, in some <laughs> in some public transport solutions and it's never, it, it's often not as, not as perfect as we would like it to be if we could if we could go back and start again. So I see what I, I do. Yeah. The, the tram is an interesting one. I've caught it quite a few times and you know, it isn't that busy yet, but if they build around it, yeah, you might, you know, it's supposed to activate that area. Um, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot, you know, it's one of those conversations you don't want to have at, a, at an event at Newcastle because you, you don't know which side of the fence someone's on and they're always on one side or the other. There's never that balanced view, yeah. right? It's either the worst Different thing that's ever happened the or the best thing. Yeah. The one, the one thing that in that particular tram line that really amazes me is they didn't take it to the beach. Yeah. Because then nice, people right? might have got on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's close, but it's not to Nobby's or, you know, the other beaches. Yeah. You know, you have a bit of a walk front to, to Newcastle Beach, et cetera. I mean, <laughs> what's your thoughts, Chris, on long-term forecasting and population, right? Like, um, you know, a lot of the time it's undercooked, you know. We don't expect the country to be that desirable and we probably over hmm. underestimate population growth. Um, but then we maybe, you know, overestimate the ability to build, you know, enough housing. Um, what's your sort of thoughts on the longer-term projections? Like, you know, are they pretty bang on in your belief or, you know, do you reckon we'll just over or under build? What's, what's your thoughts? Well, I think from a population point of view, if you have a look at the projections, I mean, the, the, only, the, only, real, the only real projections that you can kind of rely on now um, are probably the stuff that was in the budget recently from the federal government because they've had to think about what forward population looks like from, in, from, an, from a migration point of view. State governments have yet to publish, well, New South Wales state governments yet to publish its update on what the projections look like going forward, sort of post COVID, and they're due. Mm. They're due soon, so I, I'd like to see what they what they do because I think they're going to have to really adjust those levers a little bit because you know, clearly migration is the biggest one of the biggest drivers of yeah. of growth, especially in Sydney. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see where where they land in terms of that number um but i don't i don't i can't see how we i can't see the migration numbers not getting back to where they were pretty quickly we're just there's a huge i mean you probably everyone everyone i know is you know calling out for workers um you know the 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 education sector's got to get back up and running as quickly as possible um a lot of those migration a lot of that migration is is key workers that we just we're desperate for, um, and there's a budget position clearly from the federal government who desperately wants uh, more mig- migrants over here to, to pop the taxes up. So, uh, you know, it's pretty important that uh, we get them back um, from a, from a number of levels. But yeah, I can't see it not coming back um, yeah. pretty strongly. Um, I guess where they settle is a very interesting problem um, yeah. that maybe we can't crystal ball too much because they're going to settle where the new housing is right or where their housing opportunities are and we don't really know what that is or housing and job opportunities sorry it's always you know the two things that you need to, to settle is a is somewhere to work and somewhere to live and so um 
I'm not sure what those migrant patterns are going to be post-COVID because they'll, you know, traditionally, well, they'll all, you know, migrants will come and land in Sydney. They might mm. spend a couple of months in Sydney and then they might either settle or they'll disperse. And where they dispersed was relatively predictable. Mm. Um, and the numbers that they dispersed at was relatively predictable. But I think you'd be mad to try and p- pick what that is in the next round of the next five to ten years. I, I wouldn't, you know, I could have my guesses at it, but God, <laughs> it'd yeah. be a guess and but, nothing else. But that sort of leads into a major <laughs> challenge with policy then, doesn't it? Because then yeah. you've got to, you know, it's not as quickly go, oh, I could build a building and then all of a sudden it's there. I mean, it takes years to go through the planning process. That's right. And and developers have got to take a punt on this as well. Someone's mm. actually got to take the gamble. Yeah. Um, and, and like, you look at the inner city apartment situation in Sydney and also Melbourne and Brisbane, there's, there's an oversupply. You mm. know, so we're talking about housing shortage. We've got an oversupply of stock in three of our bigger cities right where the migrants are more likely to spend at least a short period of time, as you've said there. But then rolling out from that, you know, how if you if you fan out, there's so many different options about what you could be doing and you're talking about building, you know, designing metropolises. Is that the plural of metropolis? Um, <laughs> metropoli. <laughs> and 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 then then you've got to assume that the metropolis that you're planning actually takes off because, you know, there's been this hub idea in Sydney, you know, around what, Liverpool and Parramatta and was there another one? Um, this idea of this knowledge centre. But, like, you know, there's been talk of it, there's been a certain amount of investment, but has it really been a success? Yeah. I mean, I think... I, I I grew up in sort of blue, actually you know I grew up in the Blue Mountains, but so but Parramatta for me was always that kind of big town that we used to you know that spent a bit of time in as a as, as a teenager and a younger kid. But um, I don't know. I feel like Parramatta's finally taking the shape that everyone said it was going to. It's just taken a lot longer than what was planned. It's it's got that city vibe about it now. I mean, it you know it was delayed by COVID, but if you if you go back there now and and wander around, it's it really does have that that kind of bigger tent vibe that everyone was always planning for. So I think Parramatta's worked or working or on the way to, but it takes time. But like I absolutely agree with you. I'm not sure what, what's going to happen out in sort of the, the the Western Airport area where you know the government wants to essentially build our third city. Yeah. Um, I really don't know. I'm always a little bit sceptical, not so much of the fact that that's a great idea to build, a, you know, to build something out there. My scepticism is the timing of it and how long it's actually going to take versus what mm. the ambition is. Mm. Um, so it's it's a bit of a challenge because I just think the biggest challenge that I, that I can see is in that part of the world is how do you take a cohort of, say, you know, our most mobile people, 18 to... 35-year-olds, how do you take that cohort who who want to live in an inner-city environment, how do you pick them up and put them out near the, in the Western Sydney airport? Mm. Um, you know, now that that I think the, the, the challenge, there's a huge challenge here, achievable over time, but it's not going to happen overnight. And so those timelines, I think, should be probably a bit longer. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be investing in that sort of stuff, but it also doesn't mean that we should be neglecting the inner city parts of, of Sydney as well, um, because they yeah. also need that 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 effort, that investment, and that um, that thinking as well. well. I mean, everyone got wrapped up in the Parramatta story, for example, a few years ago. Um, you know, so much development going on there, but apartments yeah. there, for example, have done nothing for five, mm. six years. You know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of commercial can get knocked down for high rise. And you know, mm. if you fell for the big picture Parramatta um, and mm. you went and bought an apartment, then yeah, right now you'd probably be sitting underwater, right? And you would you made no money when the Sydney markets, for example, gone up 30, 40%. And so sometimes people fall for the idea, not for the the actual uh, mm. the time it takes. Um, maybe Parramatta will get there one day, but it doesn't mean mm. you should buy there today, um, you know, when there's potentially a big supply coming. Yeah, well, I think I think the Parramatta, like I think you're right, there was a, the, the, the huge supply of Parramatta over the last four, three or four years, just yeah. massive. And then migrants disappeared. Um, yeah. And so you've you kind of lost a, a big chunk of what the potential market could have been there. So, mm. yeah, it, it, but I, I do think, 
over time that'll fill itself up. Um, it just has to because we we are we are going to see an increase in people coming into the city. Yeah. Um, it's whether or not they choose Parramatta over somewhere else because there might be there might be a bit there's a bit more choice now. There's a bit more competition. Yeah, like it might it might not be Parramatta. It might be um, Brisbane. It might be Brisbane. It might be <laughs> Wollongong. It, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, I think there's you know given given that. Given that we've proven over the last couple of years that you don't have to live in the city to actually function, you know, work in a, in a city type job, um, you've opened that door up to a bit more competition from the from the regional towns, which I, I think is a healthy thing. Overall, it's it's got to be a good thing because we you know we we want we want people to go to we want people to go to we want people to have choice, not just to be in the city. I mean, we've got lots of talk, obviously, around building pressures, timber, steel, labour, et cetera, and building costs. I mean, what's your sort of take on all of that and how it's sort of going to play out? Well, I talked – I mean, from my point of view, this is really just getting feedback from our clients about how hard it is. And they're just saying to us that everything is is a challenge at the moment. Um, Getting getting labour and materials are the two biggest biggest problems that we've got at the moment in terms of – turning if we if we really were serious about getting a supply back up mm. it's it's getting the materials and the people to build the things that yeah. that is a real challenge i mean i was like i was like a lot of people during lockdown i did a bit of a renovation on my house and um, my builder told me that I got the last beam on the boat. <laughs> and if I didn't get that beam that was going to hold our kitchen up, it would have been a six-month wait. You know, <laughs> it was, you know, I think that's just how, that, the, the, that supply chain, you, you talk to anyone who's building at the moment and that is a real problem for them. Yeah, I've got a, a client who's, um, you know, basically provides stuff to Bunnings and big hardware companies, et cetera, yep. and um, – when I was doing my you know, reno as well, he was on the phone to me. He says, Chris, what are you, what are you doing with your timber? I said, what do you mean? Just go to the shop and get it, you know, when we need it. He goes, get it now. He said, we can yeah. and, and this was like, what was <laughs> yeah. it? It was like 20, late 2020 sort of time. And, um, yeah, and then obviously it all hit in 2021, right? And like it was, but you could see these things sort of building and builders must be just very scared at the moment because how do you price a development? How do you have the mm. confidence you're going to be able to build it. Do you want to take that risk on when margins are so tight? Um, mm. And so all builders, you know, you can see other builders going under, pro build, condo, you know, et cetera. So, like, why would you, you know, want to take on that risk at the moment? So, one, it's hey, maybe they could get the – could build, but why would a developer want to take it on when it's so unknown what the costs are going to be? Yeah, oh, look, I agree. And I think it, it, it might even get harder for your regional parts of the world because, you know, they're used to a certain tier of developer, right? Um, it's usually pretty, you know, it's it's not big scale, yep. big, big jobs. If they want to step up into a higher tier and start delivering, you know, some more medium density type developments, there's that expertise in managing yeah regional development which is a very i mean i'm not a developer Mm. but i can only imagine managing a regional development of you know two three story medium density development in a town on the the fringe of a town is a very different proposition in a regional town as it is in 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 a city um Mm. in terms of access to labor the logistics of the whole thing and if you're not if you're not embedded in that part of the world uh, it is a challenge, right? And it can only be hard. And trying to encourage people to pick themselves up and do that type of development, I think, is going to be challenging. If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. And the bar's been lifted too because we've got the Commissioner for Building in New South Wales, uh, David Chandler, who we've had on the podcast, and he's pretty, you know, bullish and and making some changes and really as raising the bar in terms of the standard of um, residential apartment buildings. Is that having an impact, do you think, on Mm. a willingness of developers to develop or are they sitting back waiting to see how that unfolds? Yeah. I, mean, I think, look, I think, first of all, it's the work that 
David's doing, David Chandler's doing is absolutely critical because we mm. need confidence in the system. 100%. And we just have to do it. And, you know, it, it's just, I've, you know, I've been to a few of his presentations. I've seen his slideshow. Right. I've watched a couple of his videos, videos where he goes and bombs. Look at that hole, you know. <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. But you're, I think there is going to be a bit of a short-term lull because those developers that shouldn't be in the system that we have relied on over the last few years to, to build certain things which you know clearly uh, needed a lot of a lot of fixing those developers are spooked and so they should be and they're going to move out of the market and there's a potent there's a there's a there's a delivery that we're, we're going to rely on those developers mm. to deliver a certain proportion yeah. of, of supply that we need that means I think that there is going to be a bit of a short-term um, so, like, like, sort of pause on those, on those until they get – until more reputable people come in and develop those things that, that um, we, 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 we actually want, the, the better quality ones. But we kind of relied a little bit on the poor quality for a while there. Not a great thing for, 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 for people that are buying these places. But mm. So I do definitely think you're going to get a little bit of a drop down, but in the long run it's a better outcome for mm. us. It's just a timing problem. Because we don't like the – like we can't really afford a, a, like a, another drop on the drop that we're having at the moment um, in terms of getting that supply up. But it's absolutely needed that we don't get those crappy developments, um, you know, built in, into, our, into, into the cities. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to have an impact for sure. You mentioned Greenfield Estates are getting snapped up. Um, yeah. And, you know, where it's first-time buyers uh, moving to regions or where it's, you know, city buyers moving to the fringes, et cetera. Uh, there seems to be, um, there's always land banking, which we've just spoke about on a podcast, and um, the, 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 I guess the conflict of interest there for developers to release it slowly so they can keep prices and make profits, et cetera, rather than flooding a market, et cetera. Um, I mean, what's your sort of thoughts around, like, speaking to all your clients and developers, is, it, is getting site acquisition really quite tough because of the land banking that does go on and that, you know, uh, certain families and wealth mm. pools managing certain pockets and um, not developing because they know if they don't develop then it keeps supply like is it do you find that the site acquisition is a real problem for, for people who do want to build rather than you know because people are just sitting on their hands or do you, do you not think that's the case I look I look again like you guys and it's not it's not the world that I'm live that I experience a lot but I hear the stories and you always hear the stories of land banking um, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt sometimes in terms of, you know, <laughs> if you, who's telling me the story of land banking is the first question, right? Mm. But, I mean, the fact is it's totally a phenomenon out in, out on the fringes, absolutely. And I think when, when anyone sees land values going through the roof, prices going through the roof, their instinct is to always hold on to that land to see if they can get a better price, right? Like mm. it's... I don't think you need to be too um, too much of an expert to understand that that's clearly what some people are doing. Um, I think the the bigger issue that we have in the greenfield areas is getting that um, infrastructure there ready so that um, when when the time is right to build that greenfield, the actual enabling infrastructure, the water, the roads, um, that's that's delivered on time at the same time that we're ready to build because I think at the moment, especially in places like the southwest of Sydney, there's a lot of plans out there to deliver that infrastructure. But is it is it actually happening um, where we need it? I you know I, I'm not I'm not I don't know exactly what the answer to that question is, but I hear that more from people that it's the enabling infrastructure is the biggest issue, and I think. If we've had a like we've had a run on greenfield in in Sydney especially like the, the amount of greenfield development and the completions in greenfield's been through the roof over the last couple of years that's basically saved Sydney's housing supply from a, an enormous drop without that greenfield supply we'd be, we'd be incredibly low um, so we're going to run out of that greenfield land quicker than we anticipated. It sort of goes back to that point I was making earlier about ag agility and sort of responding to it. If we if we thought we had 20 years' worth of supply and we've gobbled up so much in two years, we've got to fast-track that next round or we're going to inevitably run mm. out of land that's appropriate both from a, someone who's willing to sell but also appropriate in terms of its infrastructure and it's, it's set up ready to go. So the answer if you run out of land, though, is to go up, right? Oh, I think that's definitely one of the answers, yeah. But, you know, up in the right places. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. So, you know, up around up around your, your, your transport investment. 
so you know, we spoke about Leppington earlier. Let's. What's the density around those those little those parts of the world? Probably it's it's pretty low. Mm. Are we are we making the most of that? Are we making the most of our um, northwest corridor in in Sydney, um, where we've got the metro running yeah. every four minutes? Yeah. Um, it's patchy. There's there's a lot. Of, there is some higher density, medium density developments, but most of it is detached detached housing. Uh, so the, I guess the question is: Are we ma- are we making the most of those um, of those transport corridors where we'd like to see the density go up? So let's say they do the greenfields. They just that's a bit of a, a given, I guess. Over the next mm. 20, 30, 40 years, we're just going to keep on turning farmland to uh, four hundred square meter block of land with a you know cheap four hundred. That's a four hundred. Yeah, I was going to say. What are you? <laughs> which yeah. kind of which greenfield are you yeah. going for? Ma- maybe maybe Newcastle. Um, Old days, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, though. These, these uh, blocks of land. Um, you probably count the, you know, the, the street or the nature strip in that 400 as well. Um, but I mean, obviously, that's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I think it makes sense then to do high density around train stations, especially this metro, right? Just because it's such a big investment from the state government, you'd want to, um, you know, pay back all the local council. Yeah. yeah. Um, but once you're out through that, I mean, the next thing is sort of, you know, the middle and outer ring you know, flooding it with townhouses and duplexes, et cetera. Do you think that's what sort of we can sort of rely on that happening a long time in, the, in, in a long time in the future till that really happens on scale and then even till the next level where you start cutting up the, the NIMBYs, I guess. Do you think that the NIMBYs <laughs> are pretty safe for some time because there's going to be no pressure on them to rezone these land because they could say, well, the opportunity is still in Greenfield, the opportunity is still in high density around train stations. Like there's so much opportunity to build before we're even going to look at these more sort of lifestyle leafy areas. Mm, geez. It's a, like, I don't know. It's one of those things where I think the answer to that question is it's got to be everything. Like it's go- – <laughs> And I mean, you were talking you, you, on your podcast the other week. You guys were talking about the kind of everyone the, the, in that Flinsky report. They kind of put people into different categories. You're either a supply person or you're not. Mm. And I, it just frustrates. It really frustrates me that you can't have a, a nuanced conversation mm. about this because I think there are incredible opportunities in our leafy areas in the right places to to really get the, the density up. Absolutely, um, you know, you, you know, and if you're if you're in a leafy area that just happens to be near a transport corridor, um, or where the government has just put a hell of a lot of investment in, in a in a new train station, in a new, you know, um, even new, even an upgrade to the highway or whatever that yeah. investment is, I feel like you've. As a NIMBY, you've got to actually start thinking about, well, I, I've got to share that investment with with everyone else, and that means the density's got to go up. And I know. And that's the other thing, right? It's it's always the argument is always I'm I'm all for density as long as it doesn't happen near me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, it's you've just I think you've got to it's got to be it can't be a it can't be a, an argument about one or the other. It's got to be everything is up for negotiation. And if I've got if I'm in a good spot that's got good access and it's the right place to do something in terms of going up, then we should go up. And how we manage that, that's the hard part, but it, it should be a conversation that we should be having with everyone. And I just I know, I you know, I keep an eye on local politics like most people do, especially when you're in the, when you're looking at housing, because that that's where it always gets messy. And we're just not allowed to have those nuanced conversations anymore. Um, it's either you, you have to pick a camp um, and that's you're not allowed to be, well, mm. I believe in density. In, in, I, actually, mm. yeah, I believe in density. I believe it should be in um, most of, you know, in, in the appropriate parts of Sydney. Um, but I, need it, I believe it needs to be done well and it needs to be, you know, the right type of housing for people. And that doesn't mean, you know, a twenty-story tower of two-bedroom apartments. That means, well, what's the demography of that area? What's the local? What's the local market? What do, What do people want from their area? Mm. Let's work together with the community to get that up. And I don't. We're definitely not having those conversations anymore. You're not the first person who said that about, you know, that polarization and how it was <laughs> categorised in the Flinsky report. Um, you're also you know, around having to have a proper conversation but there's so many vested interests and, of course, when you're, you're dealing at local council level, it's a, a different beast than, say, mm. state government. And, you know, recently there's been uh, figures released showing how many of these local councils have been under-delivering yeah. in terms of their um, their 
the was it how to know the correct terminology yeah. but the state government basically gives them a target right and says you need to create this many homes and then they mostly under deliver but Wallara over delivered which is hmm. sort of interesting that's very leafy um what is uh, how I mean, it, it's sort of, you know, what is the answer? Obviously there is very complex and, as you said, nuance. You know, I think about Balmain, I, I often talk about Balmain and, and it's just easy because there's so many different examples that Balmain can be hmm. a good, you know, or stories where Balmain could be an example for. You know, back in oh, 25, 30 years ago now, you know, I think Unilever, I think it was, it sort of got out of making toothpaste in Balmain and, and you know, that Meriton got hold of a massive big um, uh regeneration site now there's a talk about was leaked plans are in the herald on the weekend about the whole white bay area and and mm. what's the plans for that area there there are some very big sites still um undeveloped in and around sydney cbd you know we're talking less than three k's from the cbd there mm. on the harbor you know I was just one example but you know over the years there's been many uh redevelopments in that area but it's around the right sites coming up and then of course then the right sort of development in those sites and then they've got to be sub uh, sensitive to you know all the infrastructures you're talking about there, there are so many so many hurdles that anybody's got to get over when they want to change a landscape in any any of these areas but what i get annoyed at like i don't know mossman that well to be honest but I, I can't imagine there's too many old factories to be demolished over there that's going to create opportunity to build apartments or townhouses. So, therefore, you're talking about individuals selling their houses hmm. to do that, right? And then you've got rezoning. So, there's all these other layers of who already owns the land, et cetera, et cetera. So, I guess all this is the sort of stuff that goes through planners' <laughs> minds. Well, it does, right, but the economics of it, like, yeah, what's the great motivator of someone um, selling their land or, or their house in Mossman? Well, it's probably because they're going to get a, a huge amount of money in return for it, right? Like, mm. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's – I think about Mossman as that great example of I think their housing target is a couple of hundred a year or something. It's this tiny amount. Yeah. They're, still, they're not quite there, but – when you actually go and walk around um, Military Road, at the sort of the beginning of Military Road, the closer closer to the city side yeah. of Military Road, yeah, um, they've actually built some really nice development facing the other way, um, sort of facing the back of Military Road, heading facing the opposite direction, and they've built some nice shops around there. Yeah, it's actually got a like to me, it looks like a really great example of how you could do a lot more along yeah, Military sure. Road when the opportunities there is. Let's you know, let's flip the land, let's flip the orientation of the street to the back. Mm. Let's have, you know, some really well well designed shop top housing. Let's put four or five stories of apartments above a, a nice layer of shops that are already there anyway. Um, and let's create a little community that way. Because I think that it just looks good. It, it seems to be vibrant. I know the people that, when I've, I've been there a few times and gone to the movies at the at the cinema at there and yeah. had dinner close by and it's like this is quite nice here I, yeah. I, could, I could see I can see how this is working so what's holding that back I, I'm not I think the answer to that is is that people are just a bit scared of it but when it's built it seems I don't think anyone would say it's a bad idea well, no, I, I believe that Stockland's Woolworths shut down uh, or maybe it's got through now but I mean the yeah. Mossman were able to overturn Woolworths which you think would be a a pretty easy one to get through, right? Um, you know, local amenity, and even they were saying, "Nope, it's a development we don't want. Let's let's get rid of that." So the the NIMBYs are all the lawyers, and they sort of band together, and they've got the little community groups to to stop these things. I mean, is it? But is it really Greater Sydney's fault because they're saying we well, can only build three hundred, and then they under deliver on that through keeping their ratepayers happy. So whereas in the western Sydney, maybe the target's eight thousand, right? So. Is it the problem where the government's not mandating and saying, right, we need to change, we need to have a bit more of a heavy hand here and say, right, there's a minimum rather than a target? Well, I think there is there is issues there with these the targets that were set in the in the plans, there is no mechanism to hold anyone to account. Mm. And I I haven't seen in the Greater Sydney Commission, they released um, a little bit more detail about that, or what, uh, the Greater Cities Commission, the new body. And they're going, I think, my understanding is they're going to have targets, but again, there's no talk yet of what what happens if you do or don't do it. 
Um, and there's plenty of ideas about how you do that. There's, you know, the carrot and stick. There's incentives. If you do do it, you get an investment. You get um, you get more money for infrastructure. If you don't do it, we we come in over the top and do it anyway. There's plenty of <laughs> there's plenty of ideas out there. But I think um, fundamentally, though, I just don't believe that from you know people have got to understand that. I, I well, what I'd love to see is not a conversation about do or don't we need supply yeah it's a conversation of what is the best type of supply so let's let's just move i know this is you know in my utopian world where everyone is on board with 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 me on on this it's a conversation it's not a conversation about do we need 20 apartments or do we need 20 new dwellings it's what are the best out of those 20 where's the best place for them and how do we design it in a way that benefits everybody so you know the community doesn't suffer because of the density we actually get more out of it um beautiful example right next to my house um, I lived next to a, an old um, uh, mixed-use lot that was totally underutilised, quite quite a big lot. The proposal went in about six or seven years ago, eight years ago, for a 220-apartment block. Um, and, I mean, clearly the, the community just went absolutely bonkers over it, <laughs> like absolutely bonkers. And I was like, look, I think it's actually quite a, you know, I've got to I've I've practice what I preach here. <laughs> This is a good idea, <laughs> but let's talk to the. Let's actually get an outcome that we want mm. from that development, as opposed to not opposing the development. Mm. And so, you know, I had uh, I I went through the process of a community member complaining about the about the the development. I didn't complain about the development. I just offered my suggestions on how to make the development better. You know, the retention of the trees around the area, some increase in privacy screenings for the local residents that are going to have apartments looking onto them. You know, just little little design features that made it a better design as opposed to that. And and I mean, the, the, the people that jumped up and down about it, if you ask them now about it five years after it's been built, they don't care. It's fine. It's part of the well, furniture. It's actually, if anything, it's improved the the landscape of the street a little bit. It's um, you know, yeah. it's not a dirty warehouse anymore. It's actually a really well maintained apartment block. Um, the neighbours aren't scary. They're just like us. You know, it's, like, it's 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 a perfectly good place, and everyone's happy with it. And we've just got to get over this fear and try and embrace the change and manage the change that's better for everybody. Because I think that is possible. I think that's a good example and, and certainly I get quite a few people come to me, it's like, oh, my God, there's this big development next door. Or mm. oh, We had it with the West Connex, which was pretty devastating for some people. Yeah. But the fear of what's the change is often greater than the actual outcome. You I know? think and so. What, what yeah. I often say to people is that you already own that home and, yes, of course, you are staring down the barrel of major changes, which would be awful to be considering. However, if you try to sell it now and, and – Pump, pump that onto the next buyer, their idea of the, the worst case scenario is going, to, is going to impact your price. You're better off waiting and hoping it's not as bad as you expected mm. and then potentially having some input so that it isn't as bad, the worst case scenario doesn't happen. But I think too that, you know, back to that sort of idea that the leafy suburbs aren't pulling their weight and, and you know, the, uh, the less desirable suburbs, if you like, or those suburbs that are already um, got higher density are doing too much of their fair share. It, it, but it does come back to me pragmatic, doesn't it? I mean, like in Mosman, if you, if you, you know, got a bunch of shop owners to sell and they rezoned and built six-storey apartments over and all the rest of it, there's still only a certain demographic that can afford to buy the apartments. You know, it's yeah, still right. only going to have so many properties that, that are created and, and it's not necessarily going to put a huge dent in the supply problem. And and one of the actual things that was we did talk about in our commentary about the Filinski report, they seemed, they had this sort of theory that, you know, so someone lives in Mossman and, you know, something isn't built to their standards and, and they can't buy an apartment that suits their needs in the area that they want. They just won't move. They'll stay in their house. You know, they're not going to go and go to the next suburb, which is not as desirable, and buy a, a lesser apartment with one less bedroom. That, it, it, that is not <laughs> there's sort of there was this argument. There's no segmentation in the market. There's an mm. absolutely segmentation in the market, and so I just think that you know there's there's a bit of um, naivety. I think some in some of the commentary around redeveloping Sydney or fitting more people into Sydney or, or Melbourne for that matter. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? <laughs> Look, completely. And I, I get, yeah, I get really frustrated. Like I, you know, the, the, again, the answer, the answer is a nuanced answer. 
we want <laughs> I don't want I don't want any I don't want any part of Sydney the, the city that I live in to be I mean there's a few examples of this but to be so exclusive that only a, a tiny proportion of the people can actually live in that in But that we have places like We've that We've got you know? places <laughs> like that but I don't I mean and then this is you know this is me thinking just from a personal point of view I don't want to I don't want us in the system that if we were designing a system going forward to just reinforce that and right. keep building on it until we get you know create even more of a divide than we've mm. already got like i feel like we've got to try our absolute best to try and you know get that balance of delivery of homes and that also includes public and social housing yeah. um that you know like there is there's a there's a strong argument on how important having that mix mm. in society is from and it, forgetting about anything about returns on investment and all that just from a functioning society we're a better place we're a better city if we have a good mix of people mm. in, in terms of both you know the demography of, the, of a town you know you, you don't want an aging suburb which is what we've got in a lot of these in a lot of these northern parts of sydney where because they're so expensive because the landowners are so kind of committed to that to that area and because there's no opportunities for anyone else coming in in five to ten fifteen twenty years time you're going to have an enormous proportion of people, you know, in that 65 plus and no one in that younger demographic, that family demographic, and that's just going to, like, that's not a great way to set up a, a, a suburb. It's just mm. not. And um, that's, that's you know, by virtue of both, you know, land prices, property prices, but it's also a virtue of the fact that we're not delivering the right supply in those areas as well. I mean, that on that happened. point, Chris, I mean, you said the right supply. I, you know, that's where my brain goes to a little bit and say, well, you know, we have been building. We've been building stuff that hasn't been great. That's what, you know, mm. David Chandler's talking about, right? Um, but is there a point where the government should sort of step in and A, rezone but and rezone and then, put a mandate on the type of properties that are built for example you know and um i mean the real pressure cookie in sydney is is when you get to a family stage and you have a kid you can it's easy for a single it's easy for a couple you know you mm. can rent something you can move but when you get to this family stage school zones come into the pressure you know stability security etc we haven't got enough three bed apartments and you know two beds only give them a certain runway um and then we have so, the, and then the housing options or in greenfield estates or go regionally. And so, do yeah. you think that there needs to be a mandate where, even though it's more profitable for development, which is a bit rich right now because developers are hardly making a profit with, um, you know what's happened in the Rising last couple material of years prices, and, and their labour costs <laughs> and their turnover <laughs> and their stoppages yeah, yeah, yeah. and lockdowns and it, it's tough going. But do you think then the government needs to come in there a bit more and say right? Look, we need to solve this long-term problem because if we come back in twenty years' time, we're just going to build more studios, one beds and two beds because it's it's better for the developer. It's not better for society. It's they can make more money that way. Um, what's your thoughts on that argument? Oh, like it's really hard for me because I don't, I don't like, I, I like the idea of the market in the market dictating what it needs, but that means that the, the, the all the you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of noise that stops that from happening. So there is a need for both. A bit of government intervention as well. Like, <laughs> like when I, you say that about the market dictating what it needs, I'm curious about that because how does the market dictate all those one and two bedroom? Yeah, and see, this is cup? the problem, right? Yeah. This is I don't know if the market has got a true voice. No, um, I don't think it saying, does. I actually need a three bedroom. Yeah, I I I would like to live in a three a three bedroom small townhouse uh, oh, slash apartment. In the middle part of Sydney. Yep. That's new and new enough. That means you know I'm not I don't have long term problems with it. Um, but I also need it close to to transport to yep. work and um and so how many of those are on offer right now? And I think the answer to that is is bugger all right. Mm. Um, I also look at so I look at my example as a as someone who's who bought a house in Sydney um about twelve years ago. We bought a two bedroom terrace in in Newtown. Um, we still live in that terrace house because we've, we've, we're a family now. There's four of us. We actually ended up um, renovating that two-bedroom and turning it into a bigger house because there wasn't the capacity for us to move into an, an appropriate 
house close by. Like we wanted to stay in the community, but we wanted a slightly bigger property. Um, we just wanted an extra bedroom, basically. And for a number of reasons, availability, you know, the the, the difficulty it is in actually selling, the, the, the moving costs, you know, the way that the, 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 the system is set up, it made a lot more sense for us as a family to build and renovate as opposed to move. So what we've done is, in in theory, and this is happening on mass, and I'm gonna have, I love to have a look at this in a bit more detail. Is um, that stock of entry level houses has been, you know, there's been a renovation yeah. boom, yeah. right, over the last five or six years. Um, I'd love, and I think when we get our new census coming out, something that I'd love to have a really good look at is that entry level house story. But you know, how much of that has been kind of taken away and been renovated into mm. a higher level like have we yes. have we made it even harder on ourselves because we've we've got rid of a lot of entry-level housing via reno- a renovation boom I think yeah. the answer is probably yeah 100 percent. and I'm in Newtown too actually and and yeah. but my office is in Balmain and I and I I hark back 20 years ago when I started in real estate there used to be one-bedroom cottages you could buy yeah and there's very, very few of those now because they've been turned into two-bedroom cottages and That's right, so on yeah, with the exactly. twos turning to yeah. three. Um, yeah. Not all successfully or well done, but mm. at the end of the day, they're bigger now mm. and they they can fit more people in them and um, – and that's that's the gentrification story, though, as well. You know, that's- it is right. But we're not. It's either this. Yeah, we've decided to change the stock. And you're densified. And we're densified. But have <laughs> we actually maintained? Like, where's the backup of that stock that we've we've I've decided yeah, to change? Then, yeah, yeah. Like I personally have changed the stock to suit my needs. But what that's meant is is that there's less entry level housing. Yeah. And if that happens on mass. <laughs> Yeah. then where's that top-up coming from? Right. And the top-up, is the top-up two-bedroom apartments? Well, maybe it is, but I don't know. Like I just, I'm not I'm not convinced that, that and that's a whole, that's a, mm. you know, a fairly long-term view of the way that, this, that the stock in Sydney is evolving over time. And we need to keep an eye on that as well, as much as we need to keep an eye on what we're building right now. We need to know how we're changing what's already there. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. I mean, you've got less entry level for people first time buyers, so they can't mm. buy that two-bed and renovate it because there's none of them come on the market because everyone's renovating them they yeah. can't get the three bed or the four bed because they can't afford it they you know there's they they've only got two bed apartments and so their their options for that are running out right um and i think the issue so, we're finding yeah. with a lot of clients who are in that boat um because the, to upgrade is really difficult a the the fundamentals the logistics of doing it the additional debt stamp duty selling costs um the risk of getting it wrong mm. you know um the, so many things, right? It's not, and so the best option. Let's just stay where we are. We like our neighbours, uh, and we like our street. Let's just renovate. But I mean, the last year, you know, has really scared a lot of clients off doing that because the building costs. We've got one who's got the quote was one point one. Now it's one point seven. Um, you know, it's, it's same builder, same spec. Um, but the builder's like, well, if I'm going to take it on, I want to protect myself um and people won't in brisbane you won't get fixed price contracts um well I, yeah i mean the, we've done two renovas renos on our house and we put a we put a second level on a two-story apartment but oh, sorry two-story terrace and the cost of that seven years ago was the same as it cost us just recently to just renovate our kitchen mm. yeah <laughs> you know like when we saw the quote for the kitchen we're like Oh jeez! I didn't realise it cost it gone up that much. That? <laughs> yeah, it's like wow. And that, I guess that's just a true reflection on yeah. how much it's extra it's now cost. To, you know, and that's yeah. that's a material cost. It's a labour cost, and everything. All of those cost. we all know how much they've gone up. And you're right. Like I mean, you know, and you, you start getting into that over over capitalisation world where mm, you're yeah. like, I'm pumping so much money into this house. Is that actually a smart move or not? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like it's. Too late by the sounds of it. (laughs) Hopefully we've made a good decision. (laughs) Also, I think one thing though, I mean a couple of things around that. Obviously we've got all these um, growing prices and so that's usually referred to as median price growth. Every renovation actually inflates that median a little bit you mm. know what i mean so when you're looking at growth yep. rates in these gentrified gentrified areas there's there's an element of renovation in that um price growth but there's also the fact that these renovations date whilst you made your house bigger so that means you know 20 years time it's going to be out of date again and 
you know, it'll be you might sell again, you might sell then, you might sell before then, but you know, the mm. person that buys it with a twenty-year-old renovation is effectively these days buying something to renovate again, yeah. um, even though the envelope will be bigger. Um, you know, so mm. so there's a little bit of a rinse, a rinse and repeat that happens in that way. But I do think that once you make the house bigger, that does does obviously raise the bar. Um, and also the shitty old, you know, the, the the old workers' cottages that had never had any work done on them. You know, they they still exist. I mean, I've seen enough of them, mm. but but obviously there's less and less of them. So you know, from a a purchaser's point of view, finding something that's renovated in the '90s can often be a really good deal. They mm. often sell for similar to the ones that have never been touched, but structurally they're better. Yeah, so, okay. Chris, we're running pretty light on time, but um, double of the week, have you got a story for us that we can learn from? Well, the one, the one thing that I, and I mean, this is from a, this is from a, a macro point of view, is that we've spoken about these new strategic changes that we've got at the moment in terms of the Greater Sydney Commission's what we now have is about three or four layers of strategic planning that are all going to sit on top of each other that are all referring to the same thing and we'll all have and we'll potentially have competing um, actions and sometimes just complete and utter just um, they'll just completely disagree on, on on things and what I what I'm interested to see and I've seen this happen a lot, when we do fundamental strategic planning changes is we don't actually go back and have a look at what we've done in the past. And so we end up with these incredible contradictions where one says you can do it and one says you can't. Mm. And we're, we're, we're rapidly running into a, into a time where we're going to have many, many of those and your clients and our clients who are going to say, oh, can I do this on my property? You're going to end up with... Um, Someone, well, you're going to end up having paying a paying a planning consultant like myself a, a lot of money to tell you. Oh, <laughs> this one says yes, this one says no, <laughs> and and I, I see that happening a lot at the moment. Um, and I'm 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 fearful, but optimistic maybe that yeah. they'll resolve those changes. But watch this space because it, it's happening and it's going to happen pretty quickly. So this is the planning dumbo. Um, does that mean that the lawyers get richer? Everything ends up in the land environment court. Well, inevitably, when you find these contradictions, someone's got to resolve it, and that's where you end up at the at the, yeah. Yeah, at the at court. And I, you know, we've got too many people in our business who who end up there resolving what I would have thought were pretty fundamental things that could have been fixed if someone had just put the right word into a change of legislation. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you're so, a fan of a dictatorship here, Chris. So, um, <laughs> but, but we won't go there. Autocracy, get things done. <laughs> let's just get things done, eh? Let's just use, um, let's just be sensible and get things done. How awesome. about that? Thanks so much for coming on, Chris. It's a it's a really important chat, to be honest, because when you think about the, how the cities are going to grow um, and the complexities in doing it, and not just actually building it, and the zoning and and um, materials, etc. There's so much to it. So people can just say, we need more supply, but actually logistically, how do we do it yeah. um, is the big question. So thanks so much for coming on. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for, thanks for giving me the chance to have a chat with you both. Cheers. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.